We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together, Acts chapter 17. And you'll find our text for this morning in verse 30. Acts 17, verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him, hath raised him from the dead. Now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Paul is here on Mars Hill. You remember how he had been ministering in Asia and he received a vision. A man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. <clears throat> we came to Philippi, ministered the word there. Some people were converted. He was beaten up, put in prison. Left Philippi, came to Thessalonica, preached the word in the synagogues in Thessalonica. And after three Sabbath days, he had to leave there. Church was established, moved on to Berea. The Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They studied the scriptures to see whether what Paul was saying was true. But after a time, some came from Thessalonica and rioted against Paul. So Paul had again to flee from there, and he was brought to Athens and left on his own in Athens. And as he made his way through Athens, he saw a city given to idolatry. He saw idols, shrines to heathen gods everywhere. And his soul was grieved. And so he began to preach again in the synagogues and in the marketplace. And to anybody who would listen to him, he would tell the gospel warn them to flee from idols and to flee from the wrath to come and to seek the Lord. And he came across some of the philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics. And they were rather fascinated by this, what seemed to them a new religion. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. And there he had this great opportunity because there on Mars Hill were gathered all the leaders of Athens, all the philosophers, all the, the great thinkers were there gathered together to listen to him. And he had an opportunity to preach. And what do you think he preached? So many ministers today, if they were put in that situation, what would they preach? They would preach something encouraging, something positive, something comforting, something that people would like, something that wouldn't offend. But Paul preached 
the whole counsel of God. Paul focuses in on sin and the need to repent and the judgment day. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And many of them were offended. And as he spoke about the resurrection, they laughed, they mocked, and they left. They walked away. But thankfully, there were one or two who were blessed. God will always cause his word to bear fruit. His word shall not return unto him void, but accomplishes that which he pleases, prospers in the thing whereto he sent it. So we read of Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and some others too, who were converted and who followed the Apostle Paul. Paul focuses in upon sin upon idolatry, upon the need to repent, upon the coming judgment day. And this is where our emphasis should be also in our preaching. You see, the majority of people are fast asleep on their way to hell. Fast asleep and about to perish. They need to be wakened up. What about you? Are you asleep on the way to hell? Or have you wakened up? Here we're told about God's commandment. Something that God demands. Your duty. A must. And notice it's addressed to all men everywhere, educated and uneducated, rich or poor, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your background is, young or old, it doesn't matter. God commands all men everywhere, in Jerusalem or in Athens, in Stornoway or in London. Or in New York or Tokyo or Timbuktu, doesn't matter where you are. God commandeth all men everywhere Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists. God commands all men everywhere to repent. He commands you and me. Whether you're a saint or a sinner, you have a duty to repent. Because every saint is a sinner, as long as they're in this life. Every one of us has to repent. And repentance is not something you do once in your life. Repentance is something we should be doing every single day of life. Repenting and believing the gospel. Well, I would like to ask today, what is repentance? What exactly is repentance? And in order to answer that question, I would like us to use the definition that we have given to us in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 
87. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. I'd like us to work through that catechism today and to think of what this repentance is. The repentance that is your duty. Your duty, whoever you are, young or old, God commands every one of us here and every one of us outside of here. He commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, notice, first of all, that it's repentance unto life. There's no new life without repentance. And what we have to remember is that by nature, all of us are dead in trespasses and sins. God said to Adam, in the day that thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. Adam ate the forbidden fruit and he died. Immediately he died. How did he die? He died in his soul. And you can see the death of his soul in that he felt naked and ashamed and frightened before God. He needed something to cover him. He needed a hiding place. He tried to hide behind the fig leaves, but that wouldn't do. There is only one hiding place, and that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Christ. But outside of Christ, man is naked. And so you and I are born into this world as children of Adam. When we're born, we have two parts. We have a body and a soul. Our body is alive, but our soul is dead. So we need a new birth. And what is that new birth? It's a being born of the Spirit, so that we're not just alive in our bodies, but we're alive in our souls. You see, the new birth is a spiritual resurrection of those who were dead in trespasses and sins. And we need that. We need to rise from the dead so that we are spiritually aware, so that we can hear the voice of God speaking to us in the scriptures, so that we can see the invisible God, see the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. We need to come to life spiritually because we're dead. And that's why we need repentance unto life. We're dead in our souls, and not just that, but we're heading to eternal death, the eternal death of hell. That place of misery, of pain, of suffering, of darkness, of despair, of eternal separation from God, from all joy, 
all light and all bliss. Every one of us, by nature, are dead and heading, dead spiritually and heading to death eternal, death in hell. The misery of our lost eternity. And God is saying to us, repent. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Turn ye, turn ye, for why will you die? Why will you die forever? Why will you die in hell? When God is offering to you eternal life. All of us have sinned in Adam and fallen in Adam. But to Adam a promise was made. A promise of the seed of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent. Of the Lord Jesus Christ who would come and work out salvation for men and women. And that's why we need to repent and believe in Jesus. Remember the day of Pentecost. What did Peter preach on that day of Pentecost? He preached, repent and be baptized every one of you for the remission of sins and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Repent, turn, be baptized as you put your faith in Christ. And you shall receive the Holy Ghost because he comes in the new birth, enabling you to repent and believe. Or think of how Peter puts it in Acts chapter 3. After the healing of the, the lame man at the temple, and the people gathered round seeing this miracle, and Peter said, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. See the emphasis on repentance. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was Jesus Christ's message when he began preaching? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here, what is the message of the apostles in the book of Acts? God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why is there so little emphasis today upon sin, upon the need to repent, the need to turn to the Lord and to be saved, to give up your sins and be converted and become new men and new women in Christ Jesus? It's because the church has departed from the scriptures. And departed from the order that God has laid down for us. What is repentance? It's a change of mind. Change of thoughts. It's a change of heart. Change of affections and desires and delights. And it's a change of life. A change of way of practice. Repentance is a transformation. It's a total change. So that if, if, you, if you repent, you're a new person. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Have you repented? God commands you to repent. 
It's turning from the broad road that leads to destruction and going through the narrow gate into the narrow way that leads to heaven. Repentance is not a mere turning over a new leaf. It's not somewhat of a reform. It's a radical break with the past. It starts in a new birth. And then it's a new life. And a life of constant repentance. And constant mourning over sin. It's having that godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance, not to be repented of. So it's a repentance unto life. Now, the second thing that we notice in this definition is that it's a saving grace. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. A grace, that is a gift. A gift to the undeserving. It's not something you can earn or something you can merit. It's a gift of sovereign God, freely bestowed upon poor perishing sinners. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. Many people foolishly think that they can turn to God whenever they like. They say to themselves, well, when I'm, when I'm a bit older, I'll become a Christian. Maybe, maybe when I leave school, or when I get a job, when I finish my training, when I get married, I'll settle down and become a Christian. When I have children, I'll become a Christian. When I'm a bit, when I'm a bit more mature, I'll repent. Or, they think to themselves, maybe when I'm old, when I'm retired and I've got time, I'll repent. How foolish. How foolish to think you can repent whenever you like. God commands you to repent today. Today is the day of salvation. Those who are going to repent tomorrow never do and end up in hell. Repentance is impossible for us in and of ourselves. Think of the way Jeremiah put it in Jeremiah 22, verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? The Ethiopian, the African, can he change the color of his skin and make it white? Can you, a white European, change your skin and make it black? Can a leopard get rid of its spots? So can the sinner, the sinner cannot get rid of his sin apart from divine grace. It's only by grace, it's only by God and God's sovereign work that this change can be brought about. It's not something you can turn on when you like. Think of the person who's addicted to drink. How hard it is for them to give up their, their drink. Think of a man that I knew many years ago in 
and party congregation turned up at her prayer meeting one night drunk. It was the first time I met him. Oh, he wanted to become a Christian. He started coming regularly to church, to all the services. And he was so sincere. He wanted to give up his drink. Seemed to stop for a while. He would read the books that I gave him. Oh, he was so sincere. But the drink seemed to have such a grip on him. Then he wanted to go to the, the Isle of Man. Thought if I leave this place and all my associations here, then I can make a new beginning. Went to the Isle of Man and sometime after that, he was found dead in his room with a bottle of vodka at his side. How hard he found it to give up the drink. I've seen the same with drug addicts. You try to help them, so many of them, and you see them there, come along to the church, and they seem so sincere, so enthusiastic. But back they go on their drugs again. If it's hard for a person addicted to drink or addicted to drugs, how much harder it is for the ordinary sinner to give up his ordinary sins, his ordinary self-righteousness, his ordinary pride, his ordinary covetousness, his ordinary faith in himself, his ordinary idols. How can anybody repent? Only by the grace of God. Repentance unto life is a good is a saving grace. It's a gift from God. We see that in Acts 11, verse 18. You remember how Peter went to um, Cornelius and preached the gospel in Cornelius's house. And these people there, these Gentiles, repented and the Holy Ghost came upon them. And then there were some controversy in Jerusalem and people were saying, oh, it's not right of you, Peter, you a Jew going in and eating bread with Gentiles. And Peter explained how, the, how he had been guided and led and how he must preach to the Gentiles and how they were converted. And so eventually people said, so we see that God also granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. God granted repentance unto life to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Has God granted to you repentance unto life? Or are you still an impenitent sinner? Still hardened in your sin? Still dead? And your lost ways. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin. That is essential. A true sense of his sin. On, Tuesday, on Thursday night we were talking about 
the effectual calling. Effectual calling is a work of God's Holy Spirit, convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills. He doth persuade and enable us to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Effectual calling is a saving grace. Where is, is, is a work of God, a work of God's spirit, convincing us of our sin and misery. That's where it must start. There must be a sense of your sin, an awareness that you're a sinner, a hell-deserving sinner who needs to repent, convincing you of your sin and misery and enlightening your minds in the knowledge of Christ the Savior and the gospel and salvation through him. So repentance starts with conviction of sin, consciousness of your sinfulness. That is essential. We think of David in Psalm 51. Remember what he says there, against thee, thee only, have I sinned. In thy sight done this ill. But was it really just against God that he had sinned? Surely he'd sinned against Uriah, stealing his wife, and then murdering Uriah in order that he could marry Bathsheba. But notice what he says, against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Under conviction of sin. When Nathan the prophet came to him and said, Thou art the man. David could see that his sin was first and foremost against God. The God who loved him. The God who called him by his grace. The God who took him from the sheepfolds and made him king over Israel. The God who blessed him with so many blessings. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And thy sight done this ill. That when thou speakst, thou mayst be just and clear in judging and condemning me still. Condemning and chastising me for my sin. We must See that our sin is against God. See that it's terrible. We must be convicted of it. And we must be convicted particularly of the worst sin of all. And what is the worst sin of all? Unbelief. Not believing in Jesus. There's nothing worse than that. Not putting your trust in the Savior that God has lovingly given you. God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation and despise so great a Savior? So there must be then a true sense of sin. And then there must be an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. 
If there's no sense of mercy, conviction of sin brings about despair. Remember that that's the way it was with Judas. He betrayed Jesus. And then he was convicted of his sin and betraying Jesus. You remember what he did? He came back and he threw down the money in the Sanhedrin before the Jewish council. And he said, I have sinned against innocent blood. And he went away and he hanged himself. He saw his sin, but he couldn't see the mercy of God in Christ. If he had truly repented, if he'd asked God for mercy, if he'd come to the Lord Jesus Christ pleading for salvation, he would have found it. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. These are the promises of scripture. That's what the word says. But he didn't. He could see his sin. I have sinned against innocent blood. But he couldn't see any mercy. So he went away in despair. And he hanged himself. How different Peter. Peter had sinned grievously. And denying his Lord three times with oaths and curses. But he went out and he wept bitterly. And he looked to the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. He put his trust in Jesus and his sins were forgiven. So there must be an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. And there we see how there's a very close link between repentance and faith. You can't get proper repentance without faith. And you can't have proper faith without repentance. And there's no mercy in God outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, God is a consuming fire. People foolishly talk about the love of God and they think, how could a, a God of love send men and women to hell forever? And they forget the holiness and the justice of God. And that God hates sin with a perfect hatred. They say, God, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Well, what is sin apart from the sinner? You can't separate sin and the sinner. Sin doesn't exist on its own. God hates what wicked people do when they sin. And he hates what his own people do when they sin. And God's angry with sinners every day. And God's wrath is perfect wrath against sin. And apart from Jesus Christ, God must punish sin. He punishes it either in Christ or on the sinner. God is a consuming fire. And God hates sin with a perfect hatred. And he hates unrepentant sinners with a perfect hatred. 
And it's at Calvary that we see the awfulness of God's hatred for sin when we see him pouring out his wrath upon his beloved son who was bearing our sin in our place. Sin nailed Christ to the cross. Think of every sin you do as another nail in Christ's hand and in Christ's feet. There must be, along with a conviction of sin, an apprehension, a consciousness, an awareness of the mercy of God in Christ. And then doth with grief and sorrow and hatred for sin. Doth with grief over sin. Do you grieve over sin? Do you sorrow for it? Does it hurt you when you sin? Well, there you, you see the, the difference between the, the true Christian and the person who's not a Christian. The Christian grieves over sin. Unless they're backslidden, they grieve over sin. Sin hurts them. Take, for example, the sin of pride. The sin of pride didn't bother the self-righteous Pharisees. But it bothers the true Christian. It grieves you when you see yourself exalting yourself above others or exalting yourself in the presence of God and you see that sin of pride is something loathsome. You hate it. You want it trampled underfoot. You want it gone forever. You would love to be a humble Christian. You hate pride. You have a sorrow for sin, a hatred, a hatred for sin. The unconverted love sin. They may be restrained by a fear of shame being found out or a fear of punishment. But they would carry on sinning if they were allowed to. But the true Christian longs to stop sinning. And indeed, it's one of the things that the Christian sees as most attractive about heaven. The fact that we'll never sin again. There'll never be lust there. There'll never be covetousness there. There'll never be idols there. There'll never be pride there. But we will love God perfectly. And love Christ with all our heart. And praise him beautifully forever. That is a great longing of the Christian. To cease from sin. True repentance then involves a grief and a sorrow over sin. And a hatred for sin. Doth with grief and hatred for sin. Hating it. Turning from it. Longing to stop it. Doth with grief and hatred from sin. Turn from it unto God. Converted. Becoming a new man, turning from sin unto God, with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Repentance involves 
a determination to change. You have been made willing by the Holy Spirit. And you are longing in your heart to change. You're striving to change. You're determined to change. Think of Saul of Tartars going along the Damascus Road, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And then he's converted. What a change. Now, his concern is to preach the gospel, to support the Christians, to serve Christ, the Christ to be persecuted, converted, transformed, born again, a new man in Christ Jesus, with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Wanting to be holy, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And in order for repentance, we need the means of grace. Repentance and faith take place under the means of grace. And we need to be under the preaching of the word. We need to be reading the scriptures. And as we read God's law, and as we hear it preached, we're convicted of sin. As we read and hear the gospel, we're convicted of the mercy of God in Christ and enabled to believe in Jesus. Well, what is the relationship then between faith and repentance? They're really just two sides of the one coin. Logically, you would say repentance comes first. Turning from sin, turning to Christ. Turning from sin is repentance. Turning to Christ is faith. In a sense, repentance comes first. But you notice in the shorter catechism that faith comes first. Question 86 is what is saving faith? Question 87, what is repentance unto life? And that is because true repentance only occurs when we come to the cross. It's only in the light of the sufferings of Christ that we can truly repent. Why do we sometimes say repent and believe the gospel? Why does the scripture say repent and believe the gospel and puts repentance first? I remember John McSween who used to be Many years ago, minister in point, making the comment that repentance is put first because the unconverted have some idea of repentance, but they haven't a clue what faith means. And therefore, in preaching the gospel, repentance is put first. It's something that the sinner can have some sort of idea about turning from sin. And turning to God. But here we have the command. God commanded all men everywhere to repent. What about you then? Have you obeyed that commandment? Have you repented? Will you repent today? Will you turn to Christ today? 
If you repent, you'll be saved. If you don't repent, you'll be damned. The sovereign God, the almighty God, doesn't just invite you to repent. He commands you with a sovereign authority to repent. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Can't always be found. Won't always be near. Repent and be converted. Are you today a doubting Christian? Perhaps wondering, am I really converted? Well, maybe you've never repented properly in the past. Repent today. Repent again today. And believe again in Christ today. When doubt comes to me, that's, that's the way I deal with it. The Bible says, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Well, maybe I'd never come up till now, but Lord, I'm coming today. And you've assured me that if I come to you today, you won't cast me out. So repent today, again. And really our life as Christians should be daily repentance and daily faith. And so as we daily repent and believe, we are assured of our salvation. For him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-blessed God, we cry unto thee for the gift of repentance to be given unto us. The grace of God to enable us to repent. The saving, effectual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Convincing us of our sin and misery. And convincing us of the mercy of God, which is in Christ, that we might turn from our sins to the Lord Jesus. Give us grace, O Lord, to flee from the wrath to come and to be like this uh, Dionysius the Areopagite and Damaris, who listened to the preaching of the Apostle Paul and responded to it. So may we listen to thine own word, and may we turn to thee, for Jesus' sake. Amen.